the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. The 2023 high school football season is flying by. The playoffs are only a month away. As the season's progressed, we've seen players rise up the recruiting boards, and we've seen teams with high expectations struggle. Throughout it all, USA Today's Florida Sports Network recruiting reporter John Santucci has been following along. John will join me in just a moment to discuss this season, as well as some things coming in the future, including the potential for high school athletes to collect name, image, and likeness money. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. John Santucci is one of the most well-traveled reporters in the state. Let's bring him in now to find out what he's been up to. John, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. How are we doing? Doing very good. So, high school football, well past the halfway point already. Man, it seems like it's flying by. And before we get started actually talking about football stuff, I'm curious. You've been all over the state. How many miles would you estimate you've driven over the past two months? And how many oil changes does that entail? Uh, I've had one, and I need to schedule another one this week as far as oil changes. Uh, Mileage, my guess would be right around... Probably two to two to three thousand, somewhere in there, just since the game started. Whoo-wee. You live down there in the Treasure Coast in what's generally the Vero Beach area. So where's the furthest that you've traveled to see a game this year? Yeah, I'm a little south of Vero. Uh the furthest. You know, I, I really try to stay I'm usually either in Miami or Orlando, and being right in between, you know, the two uh makes it really uh easy to get to those two locations. So I don't know the furthest, probably somewhere in Miami, I I would guess. Tropical Park, maybe. All right. A couple hours one way or the other. That's all good. All right. Well, let's talk about the uh, the season itself. So, you know, as we say, you've been around and if you're in Miami, you're definitely seeing a high level of football. But maybe that's not the area. Where would you say is the best team that you've actually seen play in person this season? And why would that be the best team you've seen? I think Chaminade might be the best team in the country. And that's, you know, uh, it's a weird thing to say, right? Because obviously I've only seen one team from California and a couple other teams from out of state. But, you know, when you talk about Chaminade, you're looking at a team that when they're when they're clicking and they've got it all going, you know, offensively, you're, you're talking about two power five wide receivers, a quarterback that's going to NC State, a running back that's going to North Carolina, two other uh, receivers that are, are power five have power five offers. I, I just don't know how many places in the country can look at a team and say they have that kind of explosiveness. Defensively, you've got, you know, Zaquan Patterson, the safety, the do everything safety who's going to Miami. You got Chris Ewald, who's committed to Michigan. You know, uh, as far as just pure talent, being able to put it together, you know, what I haven't seen from Chaminade other than, you know, the Bergen Catholic game, which, you know, was insane, was uh, they they honestly, I think even the coaching staff would break the argument. They're not putting four together, four quarters together very often. But what they do with the two and a half to three quarters that they put together is so unbelievably impressive that it's more than enough. So 
Um, and, you know, look, they started the season with five nationally ranked hey. teams and Coconut Creek. So I, I don't know what else they could do to to prove themselves beyond what they've done so far. Yeah, 7-0 and is that Chaminade Madonna team down in Hollywood for those who are wondering where they're located. So uh, not only the best team in the state, the best, or not only the best team you've seen so far, but in your opinion, the best team in the state. So we'll see how they fare uh, as the playoffs near. And we'll, we'll talk about some of the rankings and some of the other things in a minute. But, you know, the first thing, or I guess now the second thing I want to get into is, you know, you wrote this story last week and it really... It drew my interest for so many reasons, and of course, you know, name, image, and likeness, NIL, has sped, spread through college football, and now it's spreading through high school sports, and our neighbor to the north, Georgia, has now allowed NIL for high school athletes. So uh, before we kind of break this down a little, I'm just curious, what does that mean for Florida? Do you expect it here in the Sunshine State soon, and uh, how might NIL for high school athletes work exactly? To answer your first question, I 100% expect it to be somewhere in place by the 2024-25 school year. Um, that's my own, you know, uh, based on the tea leaves that I'm reading. You know, we, we wrote a story last week, the same day that Georgia um, announced that it was, um, that it approved NIL for its high school athletes. You know, we, we broke the story that the FHSA told us exclusively that uh, it is working on legislation wording to give to the board of directors for an upcoming board meeting the next one i believe is in uh november i don't expect it to be at that meeting my guess will be february or april of next year is when they'll really start to get in the weeds on it um but yes it's coming what it looks like that's a great question i'm actually working on that story right now so i don't want to give too many things away but you know there's a lot of different models out there georgia georgia's was you know fairly comprehensive um, you know, basically you can't, you're not supposed to use NIL as an incentive to get to pl the player into your high school. Um, I have a list in my head of all the schools that will not care if that legislation is in place in the state of Florida. They will absolutely do that. So I am both concerned and I am intrigued. Um, I I'm all for guys being able to make money off, um, you know, name, image, likeness. You you look at a guy like a Jeremiah Smith, who's number one recruit in the state, maybe in the nation, the wide receiver from Chaminade, who's, you know, currently committed to Ohio State. You know, I, I think that there would absolutely be some brands that would want to get in on him early. Same thing with a guy like Colin Hurley. And I could even see guys like Brady Hart, Noah Grubb, some of the younger quarterbacks um, who are starting to really prove themselves. I can see them being able to line up with brands earlier in high school uh, just so they can get them in the family kind of a thing. The amount of kids that that applies to is probably less than 30. And that's probably a high number. Where I think it's going to get interesting is uh, the guy who owns a car dealership who went to, you know, this private school. And so he's going to, you know, give any kid basically that, you know, has a couple college offers and whatever oh, if you transfer to this school, I'm going to give you 3000 bucks a year and you're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. You know, that that's where it concerns me. That's where I'm, I, I never liked the idea of name image likeness being about pay to play, but that, I think that's what it'll turn into. How the, how the FHSA tries to prevent that, I think is their primary concern. And I'm very interested to see what they come up with. 
Yeah. So, you know, you bring up a couple of points that I didn't think of. You know, my mind immediately goes to, okay, uh, these kids can receive money from the local mattress dealer, the local barbecue joint, as you say, the local car dealer. And it seems like an incentive to don't go to this school, go to this school. But you're also saying that this is also uh, maybe one of the better parts is these colleges can then, you know, some of the boosters of these colleges can come to these kids and try and persuade them with this money as well. So if you're a high school kid, you're not only looking at it from, I can get it locally to go to this high school, I can also take it to go to this college. Now, you're saying that it's a smaller percentage of kids, but also this isn't just about football either, because it makes you wonder. I mean, we see in college that there are some sports, um, especially among female athletes, where these girls and young women are getting a ton of money for other brands, for clothing brands, for makeup brands and things like that. So it makes you wonder how much of that will come to some of the top high school soccer stars, you know, girls who are in the futures program for like the women's national soccer team and things like that. So, you know, there's so much that goes into it. How are they going to be ready for this? Like you said, they're meeting in November, February, and April. How do you think they're going to be able to put all that together that soon? Or, you know, are they going to have to rush it through because this money is coming and there's not much they can do about it? Okay, rush is a very interesting word, right? Because this is not a new concept. The minute that it went to the NCAA is the minute that the uh, in my opinion, that and this is not about the FHSA. This is about every state organization, you know, that, that governs high school athletics, you know, fill in the name of the state here. Uh, they should have been very proactive in trying to figure out what this could look like because it, it's coming. What they, they it's not a rush thing, right? They've had two years to really pay attention and figure this out. So and to see, you know, how colleges are manipulating it, what's working well, what's not. I'm like I said, I'm really intrigued to see what they come up with and what um, what boundaries they put in place. Because, again, you're trying to safeguard the student athlete. Now, my question is, you know, did they go as extreme as Missouri? Missouri put in a law that said, look, you can you can get NIL money if you're in high school, but you have to sign with a an in-state program. Well, they have a grand total of one division one, you know, FBS program. And that's the university of Missouri, who, by the way, their head coach was, was at the table when they signed the law into, uh, into effect. So he can walk into any school in the state of Florida or sorry, in Missouri and say, Hey, look, you want to get paid early sign with us and we can get money in your pocket, you know, the day after you sign. I don't think that's going to work in Florida. I think Florida's got too many schools. And quite frankly, there's too many kids here that, you know, I I don't know how a Michigan or a, um, you know, University of Michigan or Ohio State or one of those schools would respond if I I can't imagine that they wouldn't freak out and say that's illegal recruiting. So, um, you know, again, we'll we'll see what what the FHSA wants to do. Um, I don't really want to put the cart before the horse because I think that there's, you know, speculating. It would be complete speculation at this point to say, hey, here's what they might do, because it's such a big, such a large funnel that I, I want to see, you know, basically what what concerns they have, because they absolutely may be talking to people and thinking of things that I haven't. So.
<laughs> sure. Well, you know, like you say, Missouri, I mean, there's a football team that got really good, really fast. They have a five-star receiver. I'm sure Missouri hasn't had one of those in quite some time. And of course, they may have just taken their first loss this past weekend, but they were undefeated and ranked and barely lost. So a uh, good way to turn around a program if you're the only one in the state. But like you say, we have four Power Five conferences or uh, football teams in Florida. And then you also have other good brands like USF and FAU and some of these other teams. So you know, it's going to be crazy. And the other thing that I worry about here, John, is these are high school kids who have the potential to take all of this money. There's college kids that are having trouble as far as taxes and paying their dues off of this and making sure that this is all because the government, they always want their share. So, uh, you know, I, I just wonder how they're going to. I don't know. But before we close it out, just do you have any closing thoughts about, you know, some things, again, that might be unforeseen or that could turn into problems? Because, yes, uh, money for young people is a good thing, but money for people this young could also be a bad thing. Yeah. You know, the the state puts a, put a couple things in uh, in its legislation, I believe, over the summer. Just about different safeguards. It might have been even last summer. I apologize. This uh, I can't keep track of this point, but you know, basically saying things like, you know, you can't, you have to have colleges have to offer this many, basically, uh, financial education classes, um, to its student athletes who have NIL, they have to have it. I think you have to take two a year and they, they can't basically just be redundant. They have to kind of cover different topics, um, about, you know, basically wealth management for lack of better practice, because they didn't, they didn't have to worry about that before. That's absolutely something that, you know, I want to see, do do they try to implement something like that? Like, hey, you have to take this online class or, or whatever that looks like, just so they can say, look, we we tried. Because um, it doesn't matter how educated you are. People are going to make really bad choices with money. Some people are. So that's just the, the nature of humanity. I mean, how many people have gotten popped for, you know, tax evasion or different things? Obviously, now you're talking about doing that at a much younger age. So what does that look like? And, and you know, are are the schools what what responsibility the schools have to safeguard their kids, which is interesting because this isn't coming from the schools. At least it shouldn't be. It should be coming from outside. You know, the other thing we haven't said about this is, you know, we usually attach name, image, likeness to, hey, this kid's the best athlete, therefore fill in the blank. But you brought up a great point earlier talking about women's sports. You look at volleyball. Uh, you look at at uh, women's soccer, you look at women's basketball, you know, just using the Cavender twins at Miami, you know, who, who are now um, in WWE, you know, they brought a huge, huge social media following to the table for negotiations. So, uh, you know, they, they weren't all American basketball players. They were very good, but they weren't, you know, the elite, elite basketball players, but they had a huge, huge NIL money because they brought social media followers to the table that's not going to change when it you know in high school if you've got a following of, of 120 people on social media good luck trying to get you know nil money in high school but if you're bringing 120,000 or 1.2 million they're going to find you even if you're not the best athlete so it's it's just going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out uh, when it does, but it, it's not just a straight line between you're successful athletically, therefore you're going to get paid. That's not the way it's going to work. Now, and you know, the other thing I think about, 
college sports, especially college football, I mean, that it's minor league football now. We attach it to educational bodies, but, you know, I wonder how many of these kids are actually completing their degrees that are the top-of-the-line football players because they usually leave early to go to the NFL. So if you have a high school kid who, let's say he's pulling in $5,000 a month, let's just grab a round number, that's $60,000 a year. Imagine being the high school teacher that's trying to get that kid to pay attention in class when they don't care because they know they're going to college. And at this point, do grades matter for them? So I wonder if there's going to be an educational proponent, you know, attached to this to where, you know, you have to maintain, you know, you still have to maintain something to get into college. But I just it, it just becomes kind of a wild west. And I'll be super interested to see how all this plays out. It will be, but I don't think it'll be that. I just don't feel like it'll be that desperate as like, you know, are they still going to pay attention in class? Again, we're talking about individuals, not the whole, right? Like, so to say that one kid might do that, which by the way, absolutely will happen. Um, you know, at some point, somebody's going to get mouthy and say, look, I make more money than you. Why should I listen to you? But that's about the individual. I don't think that's about the entire concept of NIL because we, we haven't heard a, a lot of that coming from the colleges. And, and if that was if that was a thing. I don't think that I think we would have heard about it. The other side of that is, you know, you've got to get to college to really make this to really make money. There are, there are going to be a handful of kids always that are going to be millionaires in high school um, because of what they bring on social media. But more, more often than not, those are kids who already are making money or have money because their parents are wealthy. And that's how they got the social media following in the first place. So most of these kids know that that the real money is going to be in college. So if you're making five grand a month in high school, that becomes exponential when you're talking about boosters and all the other things that you're going to see in college. So I think the incentive is still going to be there for them to do what they need to do to get to the next level and really get paid. Oh my God. I could, my wife is a public school teacher. I couldn't imagine how her head would explode. If a kid says, why do I need to listen to you? I make more money than you. That is John. That is a, a wonderful point, but let, let's move on. We, we don't want to dominate the entire podcast on NL, NIL. Although I think I could talk about high school NIL all day because it's such a fascinating subject, but you know, I want to move on to some of the high school stories that you've written recently because we did pass the midway point last week and then we just got through, you know, we blew through week seven. It's just flying by. And you've written a couple of midseason stories. One was looking at players in the state who have boosted their stock on the recruiting circuit. You know, these are, you know, sometimes sophomores and juniors because a lot of rising seniors are already on the radar. But, you know, tell me about, you know, a few of the top players that you wrote about and uh, who they're picking up offers from now. Yeah. So the guy that that we really focused on is a guy uh, from your neck of the woods, Coco quarterback, Brady Hart. And when you look at what he's done and and again, I want to be clear on this. We focused on one player per kind of area. So um, it's not comprehensive in that, hey, here's every single player that, you know, has helped themselves. But we wanted to focus on one guy from each area. Uh, Coco court, sophomore quarterback Brady Hart had never started a high school uh, varsity game before um, this season. And and so far he's gone to Jones, which is, uh, I believe, was nationally ranked to begin the year and, and, and won at Jones. Played Venice in week two with its, uh, you know, five star defensive back and, and three star defensive back and, and threw for over 400 yards and four touchdowns. 
Um, then goes to Aquinas, which was a bizarre game, and and he you know he throws for almost 500 yards and five touchdowns. I don't care what age you are. I'm trying to think of has anybody ever gone to Aquinas and had that kind of a game? I'm guessing somebody has probably done that, but the amount of sophomores that have gone to Aquinas with their, you know, one, two, three, four, five guys with power five offers and their secondary and their, you know, power five middle linebacker. By the way, for interestingly enough, a bunch of their kids are going to Missouri. Just thought I'd throw that in there. But what he's done is uh phenomenal, you know, and and you know, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the state of Florida. I've seen a bunch of the best quarterbacks. In my opinion, the two best prospects that I've seen are uh, Lake Mary's Noah Grubbs and, and Brady Hart. You know, I, I think he's the total package. Uh, for me, Noah Grubbs has the best arm talent that I've seen in a high school quarterback period. Uh, there was a play against Manger, and he actually overthrew the ball by five yards, but he took he took one step in a dirty pocket and threw the ball 52 yards in the air. He's done a great job, you know, leading that team, you know, going through the list right now. Daytona Beach, um, you know, we talked about Jermaine Hayes, uh, wide receiver, defensive back um, on a really good university team. But he just picked up an offer from Houston and he, he's done a really good job of of, uh, you know, leading that team on both sides of the ball. Again, I really like is uh, Zay Thomas out of American Heritage, junior uh, defensive back and, and you know, American Heritage Plantation has done such a great job. I know you had their former coach on uh, uh, Pat Sertan Sr. a couple of years ago talking about all the talent they have in that program. And, you know, obviously his son, who's with the Broncos now, and you're talking about guys like Tyson Campbell or a little Damari Brown, who signed with Miami last year. I think Zay is going to be the next guy in that list. Had a really nice pick against uh, Chaminade earlier that that Chaminade was kind of running away with it in the first quarter. And all of a sudden he had that pick and, and the game the entire tenor of the game changed after that. And, and uh, Chaminade had a chance to make it a one score game late and, and uh, you know, threw a pick. But, uh, you know, he, he's going to be phenomenal. I think he's got Miami and Florida State and a couple others that have jumped in on him. And, and my guess is by the end of next spring, he'll have, you know, 20 offers like you kind of expect him to. Uh, Simeon Caldwell out of Jacksonville. That's a guy. He's a sophomore, another defensive back. He's picking up a bunch of power five offers all of a sudden, you know, he's had a great year. Uh, Nick Lanier out of Miami Northwestern's a freshman and he's already got Colorado, Florida state, Miami, Auburn, Georgia. I saw him against uh, Vero beach in the season opener and he was just, you know, electric with the ball in his hands. Jaden Pettit out of Naples is a kid that's going to be their next big time receiver. They, they had Olsen, Pat Henry last year, who's now a, I'm guessing he's a tight end at Clemson uh, based on his size. But, you know, Jaden's going to be kind of the next kid out of FBA, you know, to to be a big time recruit. And they just got in Winston Watkins from IMG a couple weeks ago. So now you're looking at an FBA program that's got two power five wide receivers in class one S. There's just not a lot of class one S programs that can boast that kind of talent. Uh, Michael McClinton out of Ocoee. I, I'm interested to see what his recruiting looks like. He's definitely helped himself. He, I think he leads the country in um, tackles, tackles for loss and sacks. The only knock on him is he's basically a six foot edge rusher. Um, and I don't know how well that's going to work at the next level. You just don't see a lot of those guys. In fact, six three is considered, you know, still kind of pushing it for a, the height that they want of an edge rusher. You want those kids six, four, six, five. So, um, you know, he's probably going to play linebacker at the next level. And and again, you know, does he fit that profile? Because obviously that's a different kind of 
style of play. But as far as pure production and what he brings to the table, he's been phenomenal. Um, Sean Silva is a kid out of uh, Park Vista and Palm Beach that that I think is really, really good. And I've talked to some people down there and they expect him to be, uh, you know, a guy that that should be getting more offers. All right. Well, it sounds like we have tons of, of you know, great players around the state and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on a lot of those. And hey, a six foot um, edge rusher in the state of Florida who's probably could still undergo a growth spurt. So maybe he'll get another three or four inches. I guess we'll have to see who his father is and how tall he is. But, you know, I, I did want to talk about one other thing. Uh, after you mentioned Brady Hart, the Coco quarterback, you know, you mentioned he had a great game against St. Thomas Aquinas. There was some ref, you know, officiating at best incompetence, at worst, something nefarious. And you've written a ton about that, but, you know, the clock should have been running. Coco should have won that game. The referees stopped the clock multiple times, flagged the coach, uh, allowed St. Thomas Aquinas to get the ball back and kick a field goal. You know, so you can read all of John's work if you just search John Santucci, Coco, and St. Thomas Aquinas. But what I really want to talk about with with this is, you know, then the FHSAA rankings come out, and you see how big that that loss is and where Coco is ranked, because there are teams who are not playing near as tough a schedule who are ranked higher than them. So what do you think about the FHSA rankings, how much that's hurt Coco, and you see how high St. Thomas Aquinas is? It's like head-scratching. Okay, uh, let's start with the power rankings, because they are head-scratching, just to be clear. And kind of the biggest, the biggest issue that I have is that it doesn't reflect what we see on the field um, I just pulled up the latest rankings. Now, here's what's interesting. The latest rankings went underwent what appears to be a very massive change. And I don't know what happened, but just to give you an example, Coco on the first set of rankings was number seven in class 2S, despite being number one almost universally on every um, reputable ranking system, including USA Today's. They're number one in the state. When the power rankings came out, they were number seven. And again, their only loss being that and the computers aren't taking, you know, referees blunders into account. But they were the only loss being that one, that controversial loss at, at Aquinas. Then the rankings came out a week later and uh, all of a sudden Coco is the number six team in the state of Florida, not in their own class, but in the state of Florida. And I, I'm trying to figure out what changed so drastically in the computer's opinion that they went from being, you know, just another good team in 2S to being one of the premier teams in the state of Florida. So the, part of the issue is Max Preps, you know, does not tell us what's in the in the uh, formula. And I don't really understand that, but but they don't. But I, I don't understand the rankings. Just, you know, I, I don't know what else to say about it. I don't I don't understand them. They don't really reflect Usually what we see on the field, I felt like the second set of rankings were way better than the first. You know, I wrote the first set of rankings. You know, I, was, I almost put out a Today I Learned tweet because it, they had Miami Northwestern at 351 in the state. And I think there were eight other schools with the word North in the school title that they had ranked in Northwestern. That's no, that's just not realistic. Northwestern's played a really, really tough schedule. Yes, they they haven't won a lot of games. But but, you know, the idea that strength of schedule matters so little and wins and losses matter so much. I get that it's a bottom line business, you know, um, but when you're talking early in the season and you're talking about elite programs, you know, like a Venice or, or somebody like that 
who is playing really, really tough competition. You know, I love that Venice's coach has had this underdog mindset tweet all the last couple of weeks because their strength of schedule does not reflect how good the team is and uh, or their power rankings don't reflect how good the team is. And so they've played teams that are on our rankings ranked below them, sometimes significantly below them. But on the FHSA power rankings, they're ranked ahead of them. And so, um, you know, he's been able to put out there, oh, you know, we're a massive underdog this week. Well, only in the FHSA power rankings is that the case. So you'd like to see them match up, but they don't. Yeah. So in other words, they should use your USA Today state of Florida rankings as opposed to the mishmash mess that they're putting out there each week. I'm sure nobody in the state would have a problem with that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. No, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that. Uh, I don't want that burden. Yeah, there's some pressure for you. But hey, I'm part of your email chain. So I see all of the best high school reporters in the state weigh in on our rankings, which they're the ones going out to see the games. They're not just feeding in information and wins and losses and scores. So, you know, if you want to check those rankings out again, you know, we we have 17 sites in the state of Florida and John's work can be found at palmbeachpost.com, at tcpalm.com, floridatoday.com, jacksonville.com, tallahassee.com, gainesville.com. I could keep going, but I want. So John, um, speaking of tallahassee.com, actually, the state championships this year, they're all going to be reunited finally and played in one spot after a few years where some were held in a couple of different places. So, uh, Let's talk about that. The championships, where are they going to be held this year in December? And are you happy that they're unified? I really asked me if you're, if I was happy that they're in Tallahassee. Um, am I happy that it's one weekend instead of two? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's been a, it's a long season. Um, you know, the last couple of years, it's, it's been a lot to go to multiple sites and, and just, you know, it's, a, it's multiple weekends away from the family, things like that. So from that aspect of it, yes, I'm, I'm glad those are going to be three incredibly exhausting days, um, for everybody involved. But, you know, look, if you love your job, you're, it's, it's fine. Do I think that it was a good, I'm going to ask the answer to the question you didn't ask. Is it a good decision for the state to put the, the state championships in Tallahassee? No, it's a horrendously bad decision that doesn't take anything into account other than my guess is where they got the best deal. And it makes sense for Tallahassee. You know, one of the things I, I'll just say this I haven't liked in the past is that the state championships in Tallahassee have been the same weekend as I believe Florida State's graduation, which allows the Tallahassee uh, hotels to raise prices. So I haven't been a big fan of that. Um, and I believe it's the same weekend. But all I know is that, you know, those those Friday, Saturday rates are considerably higher than the rest of the time you're there. Why not have it in Orlando since, you know, based on the way the state's set up, that you're probably going to have five to six South Florida teams in the state championships that are now all going to have to go 400 plus miles to go play these games in Tallahassee. Why not just put them in Orlando? If you're if you're in Orlando, obviously, by the time, you know, we start up, you know, you're going to have the bright line that goes straight from Miami to Orlando. It's going to allow more fans to be there. You know, the amount of people that are not going to be able to go see their kids play in a state championship. I'm just not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of saying, hey, look, let's put the championship as far away from state from South Florida, basically, as possible. Um, and we're going to, you know, put it up in Tallahassee. 
I, I think Larry Bluestein was the one. I know it was Larry who did the one who did the thing. I, I think round trip there was only one state champion within 160 miles of uh, now a round trip thing, but still only one state champion last year was within 160 miles of Tallahassee. So why you're putting it so far away doesn't make any sense unless, you know, the FHSA got a sweetheart deal that said, hey, look, you're, you know, you're going to be able to profit a lot and we're going to charge you very little. I, I don't I don't see any other reason why you wouldn't do it in a, a place like Orlando, even a South Florida. And you go, well, the rest of the state's going to, you know, is far away from South Florida and you're kind of in the same spot. That's a little bit true, but you're going to have half of your teams coming from the South Florida area. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. There's a lot. There's people that get paid a lot more than me. I just think it's a really bad decision. Yeah, and I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but that's actually going to be held at Ken Riley Field at Bragg Memorial Stadium on the campus of Florida A&M University. And again, those dates are Thursday, December 7th through Saturday, December 9th, and there will be nine championship games. You know, John, I remember uh, back when I was covering high school football before I was an editor, and this is probably a little more than 10 years ago, it was great when they were in Orlando. It was over four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all the championships were held there in Orlando to a day, and it just made a lot more sense. So I agree with you. It's nice that they've unified it. I don't think they could have put it in a further away spot for a good portion of the state. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, it is what it is for this year. And maybe, you know, somebody will hear this podcast and hear your intelligent words and make a better decision next year. But not sure if I expect that out of the FHSA always. All right, John, um, over the next few weeks leading into the playoffs, uh, where are you going to be heading and who are you going to be looking at covering? Yeah, let me let me pull that up because I knew you were going to ask me that question. I can never remember. All right, Norland, uh, Miami Central, the Class Two, M, um, you know, top two teams in the class. Norland uh, remained undefeated last week. Uh, somehow pulled it out against Booker T. Washington, although Booker T. I thought was the better team for most of that game. And Miami Central is Miami Central, you know, nationally ranked. So uh, I think that could be a really good game. I know that's the one Norland's kind of had its eye on for a very long time. October 20, most likely Benjamin Cardinal Newman, which um, it's it's an interesting game. It's a big game, but the reality is it's just about home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs because those two teams are going to play each other and then the winner plays Chaminade. So um, be very interested to see how that one goes. Might be in your neck of the woods. Rockledge O'Galley, I think, is on my schedule right now for October 27. And then I'm not sure about the last week of the season yet. All righty. Well, we will be watching for all of your reporting there. And, you know, as I mentioned, John did a great job with his mid-season reviews. He had some superlatives he gave, gave out around the state and all sorts of other things. John, your reporting is always so great and thorough, and we appreciate it. And, you know, as I mentioned, he can be found all over the state. We do have those 17 properties. Some I didn't mention earlier include Pensacola, Panama City, Naples, Fort Myers, St. Augustine, Ocala, Leesburg, Gainesville. So, uh, you know, so many places to find your work. But if people want to make it easy and just go find you putting your links on social media, where can they find you on good old X? Yeah, uh, at John Santucci, J-O-N-S-A-N-T-U-C-C-I. And that's a single X, not a triple X. So that's where we'll find John, right, John? <laughs> 
Alrighty. Well, John, as always, I appreciate you bringing your knowledge. And like I say, I look forward to talking to you as those state championships approach, because like you said, you're going to have a busy three days, but at least you don't have to go over two weekends into two different venues all over the state. So John, we look forward to talking to you again, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. And that will do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote coaching legend Vince Lombardi, every time a football player goes to ply his trade, he's got to play from the ground up, from the soles of his feet right up to his head. Every inch of him has to play. Words of wisdom from one of the best. Thanks for listening, and join me again next time.